Looks like Michelle Tafoya has been canceled. If you don't know who Michelle Tafoya is, uh, she's the sideline reporter for NBC on Sunday Night Football. Now, sideline reporter is one of the most useless jobs in the history of the media, and I can say that because I've actually done it, but she's very good at it, which, again, isn't that hard, but she does a good professional job. Well, a while back, she uh, she made the mistake of appearing on The View, and um, that's a big mistake. You, you don't want to appear on The View, and that's what she did, so... Uh, and the discussion turned to Colin Kaepernick comparing the NFL to slavery. Now, of course, it just doesn't get any dumber than that. And you wouldn't think that they would have to be, there would have to be any conversation about that, much less a debate. Michelle said it was ridiculous and that no player is forced to play in the NFL and they get paid lots of money, millions of dollars, which is a pretty good argument against any comparison with, you know, slavery. But Sonny Hostin, who's the third most clueless panelist on the show, behind Whoopi Goldberg and Joy Behar, not necessarily in that order, uh, challenged her on it and said that most of the players are black and the owners are white, which is the stupid argument that Colin Kaepernick made and wasn't any less stupid because she made it. Well, Michelle didn't back down. So after showing up on the sideline for a few games after the appearance on The View, uh, Michelle Tafoya disappeared. Now, NBC is saying that they've given their sideline reporters some bye weeks especially in cold-weather cities. NBC says she'll be back on the sideline this week and that her days off were determined prior to the season. Uh, Nobody's really buying that since she never took any weeks off during the seasons before. NBC says any other speculation about her time off is, quote, blatantly false, unquote. We'll see. But should anybody be surprised if Tofoya is out of a job for her criticism or disagreement with Colin Kaepernick? Again, her big mistake, going on The View where she could be ganged up on by really stupid liberals who know just enough about politics to be dangerous. Well, when we come back, we're going to speak to someone who testified this week in front of Congress about gun violence in Chicago, and she was interrupted by a senator because she was talking about gun violence in Chicago, and he didn't want to do that. Is that dumb enough for you? And in our second half hour, a story about public schools in Los Angeles that have LGBTQ plus clubs for four-year-olds. Stick around. It's finally time to replace that old leaky roof, or how about some new siding? You can count on Windows or Us, the area's premier exterior replacement company. This is John Steigerwald. With over 50 years' experience in the home remodeling industry, Windows R Us offers repair and replacement for roofs, siding, gutters and downspouts, windows, entry doors, even decks. A leaky roof left unfixed can lead to mold and mildew. Maybe you lost siding during the recent windstorms. Don't put those repairs off. Windows R Us offers 12 months no interest financing and no processing fee through Dollar Bank. Want new factory direct replacement windows for your home or office? Choose from 100% vinyl, commercial aluminum, wood and composite. And how'd you like to never clean your gutters again? For a limited time, get a free gutter filter with the purchase of complete siding or roof replacement. Offer valid through 1231-21. All with 12 months, no interest, no processing fee, and backed by the best warranty in the industry. Schedule your free estimate and inspection today at windowsoruspittsburgh.com. That's windowsoruspittsburgh.com. Dr. Gorka here, and I want to talk to you for a minute about 100% drug-free Relief Factor. I've been taking Relief Factor for years now to help me deal with... 
pain in my body. My wife takes it as well. The reason we tell everyone uh, we know about it is simple. We found it really works to help our bodies fight off the inflammation that causes aches and pains. Whether it's the pain of injuries you've sustained or just the natural pains from the mileage over the years, Relief Factor can help. I've never looked back. Almost 70% of the more than half a million people who have tried Relief Factor end up ordering more. That's because it works for them the way it works for me. Isn't it time for you to get out of pain? Your first step to becoming pain-free should be to order the three-week quick start for the discounted price of only $19.95. Go to relieffactor.com or call 800-4-RELIEF to find out more about this offer. That's relieffactor.com or call 800-4-RELIEF. Feel the difference. Have you heard? Rodents are taking over. According to various news articles, recent COVID-19-related disruptions have caused abnormal behaviour in rodents, making them become more aggressive. Don't let your home or business be invaded with a disease-carrying rodent infestation. Keep them away with Plug-In Pest Free. G'day, I'm Scott from Plug-In Pest Free. Using the active wiring in your home or business, Plug-In Pest Free goes to work keeping rodents and pests away the more humane way without using toxic poisons or other harsh pesticides. Just plug it in. It's that simple. Now that's fair income. Stop the infestation and order yours today at gopestfree.com and receive a free hand sanitizer pen with every order using promo code PEN. That's gopestfree.com, promo code P-E-N. Go pestfree.com promo code pen. Don't spray and regret. Plug in and forget. Do your pets have the same energy they used to? Do they have problems with itching, scratching, a dull coat, or goopy ears? Then your pets need Dinovite. N-O-V-I-T-E.com. For over 20 years, pet owners have trusted Dynavite to supplement their pet's diet. We started Dynavite and in our first box, we noticed a difference. Dynavite is an all-natural daily supplement made from whole foods that helps support your pet's immune system, digestion, skin, and coat. Within three weeks, he's not scratching and itching, and he's an all-around happier dog. Today's commercial pet foods are processed at high temperatures, which bakes out all the essential goodness. These processed foods can lack the essential vitamins, enzymes, and probiotics that contribute to overall good health. Adding a scoop of Dynavite to your pet's food bowl is the answer. If you love your pets as much as I do, you'll want to do what's best for them, to live long, healthy, happy lives. I have two cats and two dogs. All four of them are on the Dynavite. You won't believe how happy your dog will be. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. This is the John Walt Show on AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The Answer. Amy Schwerer is a uh, fellow in judicial and legal studies at the Heritage Foundation. She's been on the show many times. Her expertise is the Second Amendment and gun laws, and she testified in Congress on Monday, and she joins us now. Amy, thanks for coming back on. I always enjoy having you. Hey, John. Always good to be on with you. So um, in front of whom did you testify, and why were you chosen to testify? So on, on Monday, I was out in Chicago to put a Senate Judiciary Committee hearing, uh, what's known as a field hearing, so it's not in D.C. Uh, at this point, it was in Chicago, specifically on uh, gun trafficking and gun violence in Chicago. Um, now, unfortunately, uh, it was just a couple panels of witnesses and Chairman Durbin at this hearing, as no other senators uh, during this very busy time were able to uh, you know, go out to Chicago, and several of them who had wanted to participate 
um, you know, virtually were denied the opportunity to do so. Um, so this was, again, you know, a Chicago-specific hearing um, with, with basically just Chairman Durbin running the show and no other senators uh, permitted to participate. Okay, so here's a part of your testimony. It takes a couple of minutes here, so, but I want everybody to hear this. And this is Senator Dick Durbin interrupting you. Go ahead and play it, Edgar. Progressive prosecutors in Chicago and in many other cities across the country, including in otherwise, quote, tough on crime states, are making a mockery of true criminal justice reform. At least when studies refuse to fudge numbers or exclude certain conveniently chosen categories of violent crime, I think the data is very clear that these policies in practice have not properly balanced reform with public safety. Here in Chicago, newly implemented bail policies have resulted in 33% more individuals on pretrial release being charged with committing a new violent crime. And given abysmally low clearance and arrest rates for these crimes, we are almost certainly undercounting that impact. Additional evidence is thoroughly laid out in my written testimony, but frankly, nothing could capture the breadth of this problem better than one recent yet fairly common example that should infuriate every person in this room. Ms. Swear, I read your testimony, uh, and I believe in all fairness, since we did not invite the Cook County State's Attorney's Office to be represented here today, uh, that you shouldn't really zero in on any particular individual. If you want to speak to the trends, that's certainly you're right, but uh, because uh, that decision was made by the committee to keep this more at the federal level, I hope you'll respect that. Senator, I I do, in fact, respect that this is something that uh, we are looking at from a federal level. However, when we're talking about what is actually happening in Chicago, I, I think Mr. Lausch from the first panel is correct. We need to look at you know, how do things like not charging five individuals who shot up a residential neighborhood on a weekend on, or on a Friday, who none of which were charged and were released on Monday, how does that impact the feeling of confidence? How does that build trust with communities? I think that is a valid thing to consider um, because again, as, as other panelists have pointed out, a lot of uh, criminal justice, uh, a lot of you know, how we actually enforce the law is done at a local level. These things matter. Uh, I and- understand that. But what I'm saying to you is there is another side to the story, I believe. I'm not here to defend one or the other. But we didn't invite the elected official that you're referring to made this decision. And I would think that in fairness, you should proceed with many of the other points that you have in your statement. So this was a hearing on Chicago gun violence, but he didn't want you to talk about Chicago gun violence. Did I get that right? Yeah. Uh, so it was uh, one of two times he interrupted, you know, once to say, well, you know, you're, you're invoking public officials who are not here to defend themselves, which is absurd. It, that's, that happens all the time at these hearings. There were other witnesses who did that themselves, including Chairman Durbin at one point. Um, invoking by name a specific Indiana gun store uh, and, and accusing them of, of criminal misconduct while they're not there to defend themselves. Uh, but again, yeah, the second time was, you know, we're at a Chicago-specific hearing, but, well, you're saying things that have nothing to do with Congress and are too focused on on Chicago-specific problems, which is a little bit mind-blowing to me, because if this isn't the time to bring up Chicago-specific problems, what are we even doing here? Well, and, and uh, why would they have a hearing? I, I, I think that the hearing that the it was labeled uh, 
The hearing, the purpose of the hearing was combating gun trafficking and reducing violence in Chicago. How do you have that hearing and not invite the Cook County State's Attorney's Office? I mean, that's that's who's in charge of preventing gun violence or, or punishing people for, for gun violence or any kind of violence. Well, right. And, you know, th- th- this was the entire point of the very well-publicized story that I was about to highlight uh, before I was interrupted. Um, is that a lot of the actions of these prosecutors matter, and they have a lot to account for and to defend themselves for. I, I mean, so the story itself was uh, about a very recent example in October of this year where um, five suspects were arrested after a, an intra-gang shootout in a residential neighborhood in Chicago. Something like 70 shots were fired in, in broad daylight. One person was killed. Two people were injured. These suspects were arrested uh, almost immediately on a Friday, the whole thing caught on camera. And by Monday, they had been released, all of them, without a single charge. And at some point, um, you know, the, the, the several prosecutors told either law enforcement or reports got out that they were citing mutual combat, which let me tell you, that's, that's not how this works. Um, and it certainly doesn't, you know, uh, foster a sense of, you know, trust within the community when you have prosecutors telling, you know, violent offenders, hey, look, guys, as long as you just shoot at each other, it's fine. You know, you you can light up a neighborhood on a Friday, you'll get out on Monday, no consequences whatsoever. So absolutely, those, those prosecutors with those sorts of decisions do have a lot to answer for. And again, why were you uh, chosen to testify? Uh, So I was invited as what's known as the, the minority witness. Um, so I was invited by GOP members of the committee. Okay. Um, I was, in fact, the, the only uh, member, or, sorry, the, the only witness who the, the minority was allowed to invite. The rest were chosen uh, by Democrats on, uh, on the Judiciary Committee. So you heard the other witnesses testify. What did they talk about, and how often were they interrupted? Uh, well, so this is what's fascinating to me is I didn't actually say anything that was inconsistent with what several other members, several other members on the, the panel had said. Uh, so in the first panel, you know, th- there were witnesses who testified um, with respect to you know things I had said about gun trafficking from Indiana and how that's you know you're misunderstanding how federal laws work, um, and, and several other witnesses who had essentially said the same thing about not punishing criminals that this is actually very bad. Um, for the, the sense of police morale, it's bad for the, the amount of trust in communities. It tells violent offenders that you know, basically you can get away with whatever you want. There's no deterrence factor there. Um, but again, none of them were, were interrupted for any of the same things that you know, that, that uh, Chairman Durbin interrupted me for, you know, for, for invoking uh, public officials who weren't there, for you know, making it specifically about issues in Chicago. Um, it, it was just me singled out twice uh, during my opening statement, which, again, is is almost um, I mean, this is something that I, I'm not even aware of another time this has happened, that a witness's opening testimony has been interrupted, not questions, you know, not during um, you know the, the time for committee members to to ask questions of the panelists, but during the opening statement to interrupt that. Um, I mean, it's, it's almost unprecedented. Now, you they see your written testimony. He referred to your written testimony. So how is your written testimony different from what you were you were reading from as your testimony in, during the actual hearing? Are they both the same thing? 
so the, the oral testimony tends to be a summary of the witness's written submission. So I actually submitted about 13 pages of written testimony um, that goes to all of the committee members who are present. It's made public. You can actually get it. We've published it um, on the Heritage Foundation website, and it's also published on the Senate Judiciary Committee website. Um, but you're only given five minutes to sort of summarize your point uh, in that opening statement. So, so basically, your, your oral statement is a summary of those written statements that are submitted earlier on. Yeah. And, and based on the questions and answers that you heard, did the hearing accomplish anything? Uh, as, you know, again, it was combating gun trafficking and reducing violence in Chicago. <clears throat> Excuse me. What are the chances that uh, that hearing will re, re, uh, result in the reduction of any violence in Chicago? I think, in all fairness, I think several of the other witnesses brought up, uh, again, points that were very similar to mine that I hope and other members of the committee take into account. Um, but I think what is very unfortunate is, is that, again, it, it's hard to look at the, the entire context of this, to look at, you know, me being cut off as a witness, uh, to look at the fact that several members, uh, entirely GOP members, requested to participate in this very, very important discussion um, and to do so virtually because they couldn't make it out to Chicago. They were denied that opportunity. Um, you know, all of these things in tandem, you know, it makes it very hard to look at this and think, wow, the people running this hearing are really committed to saving lives in Chicago and not just using Chicagoans as political pawns in some Senate chess game. Um, and I think that's very unfortunate. Yeah, um, you. I don't know, maybe I'm crazy, but it doesn't seem to me that you should need to have a hearing in front of a United States senator to discuss five people being involved in a shootout uh, uh, on Friday and being back on the street on Monday with no charges. That seemed, It seems to me that local politicians might look at that and think, think there might be a problem with that, 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 that they need to bring in a senator to talk about their problems. Well, I would certainly hope so, you know, and, and I think, too, out of, out of all of this, I, I understand the point of field hearings. I understand that, you know, Chicago's a major city with major problems. But this has been a nationwide uh, unprecedented spike in violence. We could have held this hearing in any city, in Philadelphia, in Austin, uh, frankly, back in Washington, D.C., um, you know, and, and you've since had calls from other members of the Senate Judiciary Committee saying, why aren't we holding a hearing on this national problem of gun violence? Why aren't we doing this? you know, in the Senate building in D.C. in front of a full committee, um, because it's that important of an issue. And so, again, you know, I, I understand that that Chicago plays an important role in this. Um, but this is something that I, I think I and many others would love to see brought to the national forefront to have that full-fledged hearing to talk about this um, as the big national problem that it is. Is referring to it as gun violence in the first place a problem? That as, that sounds like it's the gun that's com- that's committing the violent act? Well, yes and no. You know, I, I understand that sort of like done to blame lawful gun owners. Um, but I think at the end of the day that the main premise is, look, we have had an unprecedented spike in homicides. 4,000 more Americans were murdered, uh, most of them by firearms. Uh, then in 2020, then were murdered in, in 2019. That has continued into 2021. Um, and it's a very serious problem. And I, I think you're right that what these hearings need to do is look at what are the real problems? What happened in 2020 or, or what several things happened in 2020 um, that are driving 
this massive acute uptick in, in violence um, and, and to look at it from those root causes instead of, you know, these more politically expedient talking points of, oh, well, you know, it's, it's the gun laws in certain states or, oh, it's, it's because, you know, lawful gun owners uh, wanted to exercise their Second Amendment rights more often and buy more guns. Right. It, it's about getting to those root causes and understanding that, whether it's on a local level uh, in places like Chicago or whether it's on a national level. What, what can Congress do about this from a national perspective? And what what is going to happen? Is anything going to happen to the five people involved in the shootout? Do you know? Uh, as far as I'm aware, there nothing has happened there. Uh, even after all of the publicity from this, there has been no effort. Um, to hold them accountable for their actions. Are, are there enough hearings to hold that would get Dick Durbin and his buddies in Congress to stop blaming guns for the violence in Chicago? <laughs> well, I, I, I don't know about that, but I, I hope that at the end of the day, you know, whether it's from these hearings, whether it's, it's from, um, you know, people just doing the research and, and looking into you know, what is actually behind violent crime, what are the factors that are driving it, um, that, that you will see more American, you know, whether specific members of the Judiciary Committee, um, uh, but just on the whole, that Americans would do the work um, to, to, you know, hold policymakers accountable for actual laws and policies that are behind these spikes in gun violence instead of just, you know, spouting off your generic talking points that, you know, may sound good. They may be politically expedient, but they're not actually going to accomplish anything. We're talking to Amy Schwer. We're finishing up. Uh, she's a fellow in Judicial and Legal Studies at the Heritage Foundation. She testified on gun violence in Chicago in front of Dick Durbin, who was nice enough to interrupt her at least twice. Um, so I have about a minute left, Amy. Where do you? What? Where is the? I mean, you, this is something that you are involved in uh, all the time at the Heritage Foundation. You write about it, talk about it. Um, where is this headed? That with all the gun sales, I just saw a number today about a huge increase in gun sales in the last year. Where is this all headed? Well, I, I think on, on the one hand, this is good. You know, you, you talk about these massive gun sales, uh, something like 12 million first-time gun owners. And what's actually happening is more Americans are understanding just how vital their Second Amendment rights are. You're seeing actually support for gun control measures, for more gun control measures at a national level plummet, um, even amongst, you know, the under-30 crowd, which are historically staunchly anti-gun. Um, so I think on the whole, this has actually been a year of resurgence for the Second Amendment. Um, and I think it's at the moment a losing battle for gun control. Well, uh, I think you did a great job there against uh, a, a tough uh, tough opponent there in Chicago. And I thank you for coming on the show, as usual. Thank you for having me. Okay, that's Amy Schwerer of the Heritage Foundation. We'll be right back. SRN News. I'm John Scott. During a visit to tornado-damaged Kentucky, President Biden offered condolences and support. After viewing the destruction in Mayfield, Kentucky, during a helicopter tour, the president described the tornado damage as some of the worst he had ever seen. As you fly over here, as I've done in the past, I've not seen this tornado dam this much damage from a tornado. He met with local and state officials promising continued federal aid as Kentucky and other states affected by the storms recover and rebuild. What else, course? Greg Cluxton. The Federal Reserve will quicken the pace at which it's pulling back its support for the post-pandemic U.S. economy as inflation surges. 
It expects to raise interest rates three times next year. In an abrupt policy shift, the Fed announcing it will shrink its monthly bond purchases at twice the pace it previously announced, likely to end them altogether in March. This is SRN News. Your pets have the same energy they used to. Do they have problems with itching, scratching, a dull coat, or goopy ears? Then your pets need Dinovite. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. For over 20 years, pet owners have trusted Dinovite to supplement their pet's diet. We started Dinovite and in our first box, we noticed a difference. Dinovite is an all-natural daily supplement made from whole foods that helps support your pet's immune system, digestion, skin, and coat. Within three weeks, he's not scratching and itching, and he's an all-around happier dog. Today's commercial pet foods are processed at high temperatures, which bakes out all the essential goodness. These processed foods can lack the essential vitamins, enzymes, and probiotics that contribute to overall good health. Adding a scoop of Dinovite to your pet's food bowl is the answer. If you love your pets as much as I do, you'll want to do what's best for them, to live long, healthy, happy lives. I have two cats and two dogs. All four of them are on the Dinovite. You won't believe how happy your dog will be. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Dennis Prager asks the question no one will answer. People should, if they invite people over their home, essentially ask and maybe require that people show evidence that they are vaccinated. Have you heard that? Doesn't the obvious question get get asked? What is it I have to fear from the unvaccinated if I'm vaccinated? The Dennis Prager Show, weekdays at noon, right before Sebastian Gorka at 3 on AM 1250. The answer. Now's the time to plan your outdoor riding future with a brand new Indian motorcycle from Indian Motorcycle of Pittsburgh. This is John Steigerwald. Demand for Indian motorcycles is at an all-time high while the supply is low. Plan ahead and get on your holiday shopping now with a great selection of Indian clothing and accessories. Reserve and take priority of your brand new 2022 Indian motorcycle today. Indian Motorcycle of Pittsburgh and Warrendale next to Jurgles. Visit www.pitcycles.com. Indian Motorcycle of Pittsburgh. Always wear your helmet. Never drink and ride. Hi, this is Rhett Rasmussen of BestHotGrill.com. Gift-giving occurs year-round, whether for birthdays, holidays, or a special expression of thanks to your best clients and customers. Of course you want to show your love and gratitude, but you also want to give a gift that provides a positive image of you and your organization. Solaire infrared grills from BestHotGrill.com are both practical and unforgettable. Made in the USA, Solaire has a grill for most budgets, but more importantly, Solaire delivers the wow that everybody likes to receive in a gift. Impressive out of the box, and even more so in use, the Solaire infrared grills are the gift of value that will build relationships. With every great tasting, juicy meal enjoyed from their Solaire, they'll think of you. Step up your gift giving. Learn more about the amazing Solaire infrared grills at besthotgrill.com. That's besthotgrill.com. Besthotgrill.com. AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The Answer. WPGP Pittsburgh, a division of Salem Media Group. Listen on the Answer mobile app, smart speakers, tune in, iHeart, or Odyssey. Stuck in traffic? We've got the answer. Getting into the evening hours, still seeing a lot of delays out there. Outbound Parkway East, it's really stacked up between Boulevard of the Allies and Edgewood Swissvale. Delayed close to 15 minutes. Inbound heavy downtown to the Fort Pitt Bridge. Outbound 51, it's stacking up Midwood Avenue to Library Road. Inbound Parkway West backs up Green Tree to the Fort Pitt Tunnel. And inbound Parkway North delays from Reedsdale Street to the Fort Pitt Bridge. That's a look at traffic. I'm Jenny Robinson. AM 1250, The Answer. 
Weather. Tonight, mostly cloudy, breezy, and mild, low 50. Tomorrow, cloudy and breezy, otherwise a little rain, high 62. Tomorrow night, breezy in the evening with a touch of rain, otherwise cloudy and cooler, low 36. Friday, some sunshine, then turning cloudy and cooler, high 48. And Saturday, periods of rain, high 51. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm Alexa Weisberg. The John Steigerwall Show, AM 1250, The Answer. Well, just about every day you can find an advertisement for school choice. That's been the case for a while now. How would you like your four-year-old to be a member of a club that focuses on and promotes LB, LGBTQ insanity? That's, uh, that's what's happening in Los Angeles. And Spencer Lindquist, who's an intern at The Federalist, has written about it, and he joins us now. Spencer, great job on the piece, and thanks for being here. Thank you, and thank you very much for having me on. So it's the Los Angeles Unified School District. Uh, and what is the Rainbow Club? So the Rainbow Club is a club that is hosted by the L.A. Unified School District, and this is the second largest school district in the entirety of the United States. So what happens here is particularly important and telling about the trajectory of our country. And the Rainbow Club is a club for those as young as in TK, in, in transitional kindergarten. This is four- and five-year-olds. And the Rainbow Club is an LGBT club that is marketed to children as young as four and five. Yeah, and uh, they they met once a week for ten weeks. But does this mean that the parents had to sign their? Uh, so if I'm a parent, I sign my four year up four year old up to be subjected to this. Well, in researching for this story and for investigating for this piece, I reached out to people at LA Unified School District to try and figure that out, try and get to the bottom of it. Uh, the advertisement for the club says that it is intended for students, their friends, and their parents. But there is nowhere that I could find uh, that indicated that parents need to give permission. And there is also, uh, when I asked the, the spokespeople from LAUSD, they refused to comment when I asked if parents were required to be in attendance or if children could go on their own. Well, a four-year-old's not going to go on his own, I don't think. Uh, but my question is, this didn't. Did this happen during the school day, or was this something they signed up for and then they showed up on a Saturday afternoon or something for it? So this was held during the school week, not hours. So this was an after-school event. After school, okay. And and what about the older kids? What do they have for them uh, beyond the, whatever? The, I guess the the first one is four years old to what? The first one is uh, it's through elementary school. Okay, okay. So it's from TK through the rest of elementary school. And then there is similar clubs, similar programs for people in middle and high school. So there was a transgender, LGBT, and non-binary group for middle schoolers. And then there was essentially the same club under different names for different age groups throughout the school district. So uh, it's called Middle School Trans and Gender Non-Binary Group. That sounds like a lot of fun for the kiddies. Exactly. Uh, just the tip of the iceberg of the type of radical, the type of left-wing gender ideology that this district has been pushing. I also covered in my piece that there were presentations by the Office of Human Relations and Diversity, and they spanned a number of different topics. But one of the most uh, ridiculous and appalling was this idea of the two-spirit sexuality, um, which is apparently a Native American um, sexuality that the district claimed was erased by European colonization. Now, these are materials that are being written by 
concocted by people in the district and are being promoted with the hopes that teachers are going to be presenting them to their classrooms. So what are the kids actually learning about? What are they teaching them? I mean, the, 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 uh, the title of the, of, the, of the program kind of explains itself, but specifically, what does a kid get out of, a, of a, one of these sessions? So these sessions specifically, uh, what these spokespeople told me from the L.A. Unified School District is that they discuss, it, they discuss their gay art project pertaining to uh, LGBTQ issues, uh, and that uh, generally speaking, they kind of engage in conversation around these topics, around their, their identities. Not much in the way of specifics. Uh, was given when I reached out to those um, who are who are responsible for this club and who who speak on behalf of the district, and I believe that uh, that that lack of specificity was um, was certainly intentional because this is one of those cases where those who are teaching and those who are in charge of our government schools, though they are in a position of public accountability, so often they try and do whatever they can to avoid that publicity and to avoid that accountability. So this would seem to be something that. Something this radical and this blatant, and and um, you would think that they would they would be proud of it instead of like. Uh, did you get the feeling that they they were kind of resentful that you were uh, asking questions about it, and they they got very defensive? Well, absolutely, they did. Uh, they they did very quickly tell me that they weren't willing to. They were not willing to talk on the matter anymore after I asked an initial question, which essentially was just uh, I inquired as to what specifically went on at these meetings, and they just told me you know, what I told you earlier, the, the art and the conversations. But past that, they really weren't willing to talk, and I followed up with a question that I think everybody should be asking in relation to this district and in relation to the cultural pushes that we're seeing throughout school districts and in our media, which is why, why are there conversations in the first place? Why are we questioning the sexual identities of children that shouldn't be a, a that shouldn't be an acceptable uh, conversation especially not one that should be happening with taxpayer dollars so i asked the district why why are you involving yourself in these sexual identities of four five six-year-olds uh and when i asked that question they told me that they weren't willing to comment any further you are we're talking to spencer lindquist he's an intern at the federalist you're you're i think a senior uh, at uh, pepperdine out there in L.A.? That's, that's exactly right. I'm a, I'm a senior at Pepperdine right now. Okay. So you're not that far removed from from being in high school or even middle school compared to me, who was, you know, a, a million years ago. Um, what do you see different now just from the, say, 10 years ago that you were uh, 10 or 12 years old and, and in fourth or fifth grade, whatever it was? So when I was in middle school or in, in elementary school, you really didn't see any of this type of content. You certainly didn't see, uh, I mean, this is even me. I grew up in the Silicon Valley, which is obviously a very liberal part of a very liberal state. Um, and even there, I really didn't experience this. It wasn't until high school. Um, and I've actually written investigative pieces on my former school district where I found that they were pushing critical race theory really before uh, that word was in the public lexicon. Uh, but even then, they weren't pushing this degree of insanity and radicalism when it comes to discussing understanding and the meaning of gender. That is something that we're seeing now more and more. And really, as we can see from this story and from so many others like it, unfortunately, that they aren't sparing people at any age. And if you are four or five, your mind is the target uh, for the indoctrination of 
people like uh, it's districts like the Los Angeles Unified School District. And this really gets back to the fact that we need a parents need to be well aware of the type of content that is being presented to their children, because I'm sure that these districts do not want this to be publicized. Um, but it's only if we publicize that we can hold this power to account and the parents can be aware of what's going on in their schools. Um, and so you don't think that too many parents are aware of this? Do you get that impression that they that a lot of parents well, would be shocked by this? I believe so. I believe uh, just from emails that I've received, kind of private, uh, you know, private communications that I've heard from parents in this district and from other districts that I've focused on in previous stories, uh, people always tend to be appalled when they see this because even though it is on their websites uh, in many cases, and, and while that is public, this isn't something that is maybe readily discussed because um, these districts know that they are going to get, get a great degree of backlash if parents find out that their four or five-year-old is being taught about uh, you know, LGBT topics uh, just after they learn how to walk or just after they learn how to talk practice. Well, if you're four, you've barely learned how to talk. Are yeah, yeah. I, I, I have an issue with kids before even being in school, organized school. Anyway, they should be out playing in a sandbox somewhere. But that's just me. Um, so you, you mentioned the two spirit Native American sexuality, uh, and it says that uh, that in that course uh, it survived centuries of colonial violence and prejudice, which tells me that. They're also being able to work in a lot of anti-American indoctrination in, in, in among the, uh, the, the sexual stupidity. That's exactly right. And this is really emblematic of the left's approach to these social and cultural war issues, broadly speaking. And it's this idea of intersectionality, that oppression is interlinked and that forms of oppression um, you know, are levied along various different bases. So now when they are in the midst of pushing this, a radical left-wing notion of gender. They're also taking every opportunity they can to to blame it on um, America, to blame it on you know the Pilgrims, to blame it on really whoever they can to undermine our national history and to undermine our national identity. National identity. And all this stuff, the the uh, the pro LGBTQ stuff, the indoctrination. Uh, are they selling it as a way to? Uh, make it easier for kids to accept uh, people who uh, are gay or lesbian or transgender? Or do you get the feeling that it's promoting it more than it's teaching it as a, you know, just a way of, for, for kids to understand what it is when they encounter it? Well, it's certainly framed as if it is just an attempt to build an environment where people can be understanding and where differences can be appreciated. Uh, but that's always how this is framed. And we know that that's not the case because um, if you just wanted people to be accepting or, uh, or generally speaking nice to each other, regardless of differences, you wouldn't need to mobilize an entire school district, uh, not only with optional clubs like this, but also with this slew of, these, of, different, uh, of different presentations that have been organized by the Office of Human Relations and, and uh, Diversity. Um, they're very, very evidently politically one-sided. They touch on political topics. They've got uh, presentations not only on LGBT topics, but also on critical race theory. So when we view it in that wider, in that wider picture, we know that there is a large-scale left-wing indoctrination going on, and it is not simply relegated to, to the realm of LGBT topics whatsoever. And who's responsible for this? 
Is it coming from the school boards? Is it coming down from the 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 governor? Uh, from the is it being issued by people in the, in the state government? Where is it? Because L.A. is a, as you mentioned is the second biggest school district in the country. That's a that's a pretty big group of people being indoctrinated. It certainly is, and the school board is certainly to blame for much of this. Uh, recently, I just wrote a story that focused on uh, their ethnic studies curriculum. They had previously told people, and they even told their students, race theory is not taught in K-12 schools. And right after they had said that, they actually brought in a critical race theorist who works for an institution that quite literally has critical race theory in its name to come and help them craft their curriculum. Um, so the board of this school is completely duplicitous, and they are more than willing to lie to parents um, to be able to force their left-wing agenda on children in elementary school. i got to say i got to blame the parents for this, because there's plenty of stupidity out there from the government, but they're your kids. And how do you, how do you, how do you have a kid going to school and being taught this stupidity and not be aware of it? That really is, in this time, I mean, that's the most important lesson that anybody can take from this story or from the many that are like it. It's that we cannot trust our school system. We can't trust the government, generally speaking, to have our best interests in mind. So often it seems that it's actually been mobilized and weaponized against us and against our values, particularly if you are a conservative or a Christian um, or just a patriotic American in general. Um, So if you are a parent... You know, don't think that this is relegated to California or to Los Angeles. This is happening throughout the country, uh, and there really is nothing more precious uh, than young people and their minds and their safety, and that's something that every parent has to be looking out for nowadays. Again, you're a, you're a college senior, so how old are you? I'm 22. Okay. So what about your friends when you tell them about the story that you did? Because I'd, I'd be interested. I don't know what, what Pepperdine is like as far as how liberal it is on campus, but what about people your age when they see this? Do they think it's wonderful, or do you do they think there's something wrong with you for pushing back on it? There's certainly a wide variety of responses. Pepperdine is a Christian school. Uh, it's affiliated with the Church of Christ, though, of course, not everybody who goes there is Christian. Um, so there is a wide variety. Some people realize how ridiculous this is and realize, regardless of even their beliefs on these topics, that this is a coordinated, targeted push to indoctrinate children, uh, which is exactly what it is. But unfortunately, there are some people who believe that this is exactly what schools should be doing, that schools are simply building an inclusive and accepting environment, and that that should be the aim of society, generally speaking, beyond schools. Um, But what we know is that these schools, they're doing things and they're discussing topics that should not be discussed with children of this age, um, and regardless of even the content, which is particularly egregious, regardless of people's perspectives on that content, we know that a institution that is supposed to be working for the public good has been completely, completely turned into a partisan outlet that is trying to create young ideologues that will one day be able to further their own agenda. Finishing up here with Spencer Lindquist. He's an intern at The Federalist. He's written a great piece. You can find it at thefederalist.com about what's happening in L.A. and the public schools. I'm on the back nine for, for my in my life, but you are just starting out. I'm just wondering, after looking into stuff like this, how do you see your future? What do you what do you see coming down the road for you at 22 years old? 
I mean, looking at the the future of this country, obviously there's a lot of routes that we could go down in the future of uh, in the future of education. Uh, but I think really the conclusion that I've come to uh, is is it's really made me realize just how important it is to build a strong and stable community around shared values because so many of the institutions that maybe we could count on in the past have been completely co-opted um, by by leftism, whether it's academia, whether it's our K through 12. Public, uh, public institutions, whether it's the legacy media. Um, so it really is so important to build your own communities around shared values where your children can be raised in those values um, and where really everything you hold dear that's under attack by so many of the institutions in our country can be protected. Well, you're making way too much sense for a 22-year-old guy, Spencer, but I appreciate you coming on the show to, to talk about it. Thanks. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Okay, that's Spencer Lidquist. And check out his piece, because we didn't cover half of it here, at thefederalist.com. We'll be right back. Do you pay for your own health insurance? Are you self-employed, a gig worker? Are you a small business owner trying to help your employees find affordable benefits? If so, listen up. My name is Tom Yakupit, and you can save 25 to 50% or more on your monthly premiums and have benefits with first dollar protection on many common outpatient services. That's right, no deductible, no copayments. With many traditional health plans, you're functionally uninsured because of deductibles, copays, and other cost sharing devices that benefit the insurance company, but not you. With New Era Health Plans, you can access doctors, hospitals, and urgent care facilities with our freedom of choice nationwide PPO network, including Washington Hospital, St. Clair, Allegheny General, and UPMC. Call me, Tom Yakupin, 724-228-7187, or visit us online at NewEraHealthPlans.com. This is Sebastian Gorka, and I want to invite you to join me for a powerful travel opportunity that will likely become the highlight of your year. I'm headed to Israel in November 2022 for a 10-day Stand with Israel tour of the key sites and best places meant to give you an unprecedented view of a world you've likely only read or heard about. Together, we'll uncover key geopolitical insights as we unpack Israel's significance on the world stage. You'll return home empowered by the experience. If you ever dreamt of visiting Israel, this is your opportunity. Come with me in 2022. For more information, call 855 565 5519 or book online at standwithisraeltour.com 855-565-5519 or standwithisraeltour.com Hey, I'm Andy. If you don't know me, it's probably because I'm not famous. But I did start a men's grooming company called Harry's. The idea for Harry's came out of a frustrating experience I had buying razor blades. Most brands were overpriced, overdesigned, and out of touch. At Harry's, our approach is simple. Here's our secret. We make sharp, durable blades and sell them at honest prices for as low as $2 each. We care about quality so much that we do some crazy things, like buy a world-class German blade factory. Obsessing over every detail means we're confident in offering a 100% quality guarantee. Millions of guys have already made the switch to Harry's, so thank you if you're one of them. And if you're not, we hope you give us a try with this special offer. Get a Harry starter set with a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and a travel cover. 
all for just three bucks plus free shipping. Just go to harrys.com and enter 3388 at checkout. That's harrys.com, code 3388. Enjoy. Rob tried to manage his constipation with belly pain, discomfort, and bloating day after day. After realizing it was irritable bowel syndrome with constipation or IBSC, he found another way and finally said yes to adding Linzess. Linzess or linaclotide is a prescription medicine that treats IBSC in adults. Linzess works differently than laxatives. It lets you have more frequent and complete bowel movements and helps relieve overall abdominal symptoms, belly pain, discomfort, and bloating. These symptoms were studied in combination, not individually. Do not give Linzess to children less than two years old. It may harm them. Do not take Linzess if you have a bowel blockage. Get immediate help if you develop unusual or severe stomach pain, especially with bloody or black stools. The most common side effect is diarrhea, sometimes severe. If it's severe, stop taking Linzess and call your doctor right away. Other side effects include gas, stomach area pain, and swelling. There could be more to your story with IBSC. Talk to a doctor today. Say yes to Linzess. Learn more at Linzess.com or call 1-800-L-I-N-Z-E-S-S. Sponsored by Abbey and Ironwood Pharmaceuticals. This is the John Stackerwalt Show on AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The answer. Uh, we really didn't have time to cover this thing all uh, as well as we sh- could have uh, with Spencer Lindquist. By the way, was he pretty impressive for a 22-year-old college senior or what? Uh, I think he's got a pretty good future in the media. Wow. Um, that was amazing. Anyway, I have a little bit of time here. I, I've got the piece in front of me. I'm just going through it. And you can pick it out, pick a spot on any page, any paragraph. Here's one. Uh, one presentation called Queering Culture featured an intersectional. Remember, this is uh, for kids from four through middle school. Uh, one presentation called Queering Culture featured an intersectional amalgamation of CRT, critical race theory, and left wing gender theory. One slide provided definitions for the terms BIPOC, B-I-P-O-C, and LGBTQ2S. I have no idea what that is. I'm just not able to keep up on that. But while others discussed William Dorsey Swan, he's a guy from the 1880s who was dubbed, quote, the queen of drag and led a, quote, queer resistance group. The presentation goes on to include a section on intersectionality asking students to reflect on their racial and sexual identities. And then there's this. The lesson LGBT etiquette tells students to introduce themselves to each other by using their gender pronouns and teaches that the word they can be used to refer to those who consider themselves non-binary. And I'm trying to picture myself explaining non-binary to a six-year-old. That's or an 8-year-old, or a 10-year-old for that matter. But it also features a video from the dating app Tinder called, are you ready? Five non-binary people explain what non-binary means to them. This is being done in the Los Angeles public schools, the second largest public school system in the United States of America. Now, there's there's the key to this, though. It transgender is 0.5% of the population. How many kids in the entire Los Angeles public school system do you think have to deal with this issue? It's insanity, and it's it just looks like it's never going to end. But good thing for we have Spencer Lindquist and guys like him coming along. Hopefully he can do something about it. Talk to you tomorrow. 
The John Steigerwald Show is a production of the Answer Pittsburgh and Salem Media Group.